It's absurd. Totally and completely ludicrous. Think of it for a moment. Jesus said that it is easier for a camel. Now that would be one of the largest animals that was known in Israel. A camel who weighs uh, at least around a thousand pounds, who at its shoulder is six feet tall. It is easier for the camel with his hump to go through the eye of a sewing needle. Now, some of you in the back cannot even see this needle that I'm holding up here this morning. And those in the front, with eyes like mine, cannot see it. But it's ludicrous to think that a camel could go through the eye of this needle. I can't even get a thread through this needle. But the thought of a camel... You say, that's impossible. That cannot happen. That was exactly Jesus' point. That it could not happen. But it would be easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. And the reality is, we live in one of the most prosperous, richest cultures of all times. And you would say, well, not me. I don't fall into that group of rich people. If you travel around the world, the poorest in our world are considered rich. And yet, Jesus said, It's easier for a camel to accomplish going through the eye of a sewing needle than for those who are rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, how did we get to this statement? What brought this statement on? Well, Jesus was getting ready to leave, and a rich young ruler comes running up to him. We know he was a ruler from the parallel passage in Luke 18. We know that he was a young man from the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19. And he comes, he's running, Jesus is getting ready to leave. And I'm sure nobody knew what time Jesus was leaving. Uh, this, This man's just coming on. Unlike today when we know what times start and we still go running to get in there at the last minute, uh, we see that every Sunday here. You know, we get just to get there. Jesus is getting ready to leave and the rich young ruler doesn't want to miss him. So he comes running up to him and he kneels before him. He falls on his knees as an expression of reverence. And honor. And he asks a question What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. You know, there's no place in all the Jewish writings that ever refer to a rabbi being called good. 
The rabbis would not be called good because they recognize, as Jesus is going to point out, there is none that is really good other than whom? Other than God. God is the only one who is good. So Jesus is basically saying, why are you calling me uh, good? Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments. Now notice the emphasis of the rich young ruler. What must I do? What can I do? He realizes he doesn't have eternal life. You know, the scriptures tell us that God has put in the hearts of all people eternity. Deep inside, we all know there is more to life than what we experience right here. There is an inner witness within us that we are made for more than this world. And there's an inner witness within us that tells us that God exists. It shouts to us that God is. And so this rich young ruler wants to know, what must I do in order to inherit eternal life. Tim Keller is right when he says all religions of the world can be categorized under one of two words, do or done. Christianity is the only religion that says it's based on what is done, not on what we do. So Jesus, in exchanging thoughts with this man, says to him, you want to know what you must do to inherit eternal life? And look, he wants to know what to inherit. This rich young ruler is probably rich because of what he's inherited from his parents. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now those are the last six commandments that are given. And those last six commandments that were given refer to the relationships that we have for one another. And just as they were sins... As the commandments point out, they continue to be sin today. Murder is a sin. Adultery is a sin. Stealing is a sin. Bearing false witness is a sin. Defrauding is a sin. Not honoring your father and mother, it's a sin. That standard doesn't change. It's still true today. You want to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. And he gives them this, these six commandments. Then notice the statement of this rich young ruler. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I've kept all of them. He's referring to from the time that he would be recognized as an adult at 12 years old. And he is saying that I have kept these commandments. Now, we know that even if he outwardly 
obeyed all of these things. There's a much higher standard that goes to what's going on on the inside. But at least outwardly, he has kept them. He's probably much like the Apostle Paul, who said in Philippians 3.6 that according to the requirements of the law, he stood faultless. So no one's going to come and say that this rich young ruler has not kept these commandments. From what they can see, he has kept these commandments from the time he would be considered to be a man. But that brings us to the question then, is there something I am lacking? Now Matthew tells us that it's the rich young ruler himself who asked, what do I lack? He knows that in spite of what he's saying, there is something still lacking. And he wants to know what that is. He realized there was a need in his life for salvation. And friends, it's something that each and every one of us needs to realize. In spite of voices that are out there today telling us that there's nothing we must do in order to have eternal life. Someone said, in the past we had this so-called motive of saving souls. We were convinced that people had to believe and be baptized, or if they didn't, they would go to hell. Now, thanks be to God, we believe that all people in all religions are already living in the grace and love of God and will be saved by God's mercy. Someone else has written, uh, today we don't talk about conversion anymore. We talk about being friends. My job is to prove that God is love and to bring courage to these people. Heresy. Heresy. Not all are saved. This young ruler recognizes there is something yet lacking in his life. And Jesus looks at him, and he loves him, and he says, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Go sell it all. The man's rich. Now, some have taken this and have concluded that in order to be saved, everyone must sell everything that they have. But that is not what the passage is saying. For this young ruler, there's one thing that he lacks yet. And what is it that he lacks? He has something in his life that violates the first commandment. What's the first commandment of God? You shall have no other gods before me. And even though he can say, I've kept the last six... He will not be honest. He cannot honestly say, I've kept the first commandment to have anything before the Lord 
Because he has something that's number one in his life. And it's not God. It's his riches. It's his possessions. They are more important to him than following after God. I want to ask you the question this morning. Is there something that you lack? Is there something that's missing yet for you? Is there anything that you are putting before God? Because whatever you will put before God is an idol in your life. It can be wealth. It can be possessions. It can be pride. It can be fill in the blank for yourself. Is there something that you're lacking? And you know, deep down, as the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, if there's something that you are yet lacking, He is speaking to you about that right now. And you know what it is that you have put before God. Whatever it may be, people, relationships, pride, what might you be lacking? Go sell it all. Give it all away. Because that's what's most important to you. And then come and follow me. Now notice, please, as Jesus says this to the young man, we're told that Jesus loved him. The heart of Jesus went out to this man. The heart of Jesus desired for this man to come into right relationship with God. What do I lack? And it's as if Jesus is really saying to him, you know what it is you really lack. Because we read in verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Oh, Jesus then looks around to his disciples in verse 23, and he said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Well, why were they amazed? Because there was a theology of the day that riches showed that you were righteous. Riches, health, prosperity, that showed that you were righteous before God. It's strange how that heresy still exists in our world today, doesn't it? As we have those who proclaim health and wealth, a prosperity gospel that goes totally against the true gospel of God. So the disciples are amazed when Jesus said that. And he says to them again, children. He's talking to them, a term of endearment to them. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now get that. It is difficult to get into the kingdom of God. It is easier, and now we come, to our illustration of the camel. And it's absurd. 
Jesus is using it as an illustration. It was probably even meant to get them to laugh. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? If this is true, Jesus, if what you're sharing for us is absolute truth, and we know that all that Jesus shares is absolute truth because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If this is true, then who can be saved? And the answer to that question is what? If all this is true, then with men, the answer is no one can be saved. Because Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. We should say amen to that verse, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing we can do to inherit eternal life. There's no way we can make it. All of our good works, all of it is nothing but filthy rags. The best we can attain to still won't get us there. No more than a camel can go through the eye of a needle. But thank God what is impossible with men is possible with God. Amen. What is impossible with men is possible with God. Do you recognize for every one of us here this morning, every one of us that knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are the result of a God doing the impossible. God has taken those who were far removed from him, who were enemies of him, who were lost in their sins, and God commended his love toward us while we were still sinners. And Jesus went to the cross and died so that the impossible could occur so that we could be saved. We thank God for that great truth. Well, next, Peter speaks up, verse 28. And he began to say, See, we have left everything and followed you. Peter wants to give himself a little pat on the back here, the other disciples. Jesus, we've given up everything and followed you. And it's like, like Peter is saying, you told the, this rich young ruler that he needed to sell it all and that we have done that. So the unheard question is here, what's the benefit for us? What's the benefit for us? And this morning I want to ask the question, can we trust God? Can we trust God? If we've given up everything to follow him, can we trust him? 
And notice what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Now let's pause here for a moment. For most of us, it has not required us to leave our house. It's not required of us to have left our brothers or sisters or to have left our mothers or fathers or children or lands for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. Now when I say that, For some of us, I know that is not true for all of us. I know that there are people that are within our church that because they put their faith and trust in Christ, they were disowned by their families. I know that there are people within our church because they put their faith and trust in Jesus, they cannot see their families, because their families are such a bad influence upon them and so antagonistic to the ways of Christ that they can't be with them. There are some, and pretty much all of our missionaries that are serving overseas, that have made great sacrifices in that they have been separated from parents and from children. And they have given up, in cases, uh, very lucrative jobs that they could have here in the States for the cost of following after Jesus. And Peter is saying to him, we've left everything. Is it really worth it? Can we really trust you in this? And Jesus says, truly I say to you, remember truly, that marks something, pay attention to what I'm about to say. This is very important. There is no one, don't miss that, no one. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, that good news of salvation in Christ alone, who will not receive. All right, here's the return. If you're wondering if your sacrifice to follow Jesus is worth it, here's the return, Jesus says. Who will not receive a hundredfold, now don't miss this, because we go over that. We just kind of skim over this next word. Who will not receive a hundredfold now? We tend to focus in heaven, right? We tend to focus in the life to come. That all the hardships, 
or whatever we've given up to follow Jesus. We'll get paid back for all of that when we get to heaven. But notice the words of Jesus, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and lands, and don't miss that next phrase, with persecutions. There's no one who's followed me who will not be rewarded a hundredfold in this life. Here, now you say, how is that possible? What does this mean? Well, some have argued it means, well, when we give up our family, we get a new family. We get the family of God. It's within the church. And that is true. And many of us have those who are closer to us as brothers and sisters than our own physical brothers and sisters. Many of us have those who have ministered to us as mothers and fathers who are closer to us than our own mothers and fathers. But to receive all of this a hundredfold? And then we can consider others that we look and say, and I think sometimes of our missionaries overseas, and John Piper in a message really applied this to missionaries overseas. We have some that receive that blessing, but we have others who labor alone in hardship. We have others who in this life, as they would look at this and say, well, you say that's being fulfilled in the, the, the church. I can't count a hundredfold all being added to me. But there's something we're missing here. That blessing of 100-fold doesn't come from others. It comes from Jesus himself. Jesus will bless you a hundredfold more in this life than your father and mother and brothers and sisters can do. Jesus is saying, you can trust me. I will be more than all that you need. I can meet that need in your life, and not only can I need it, I will need it. That's why the priority must be following after God and putting him first. But then notice what else he says. And though this may come with persecutions in our life, he says, and in the age to come, eternal life. I will fulfill all this need a hundredfold in this life and in addition to that, what's the bonus? Eternal life forever spent with Jesus in his house and all the blessings that he will pour down on us. Friends, God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Follow him with all that you have within you. 
you will not go unrewarded. Jesus himself is a reward that is worth more than a hundredfold for anything that you may abandon. Hudson Taylor, when he ended his 50 years of missionary labor in China said, I never made a sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. And notice the last statement in our text, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. You know, according to the world, if they were to, to weigh out the follower of Jesus and the rich young ruler, they would say, hey, the rich young ruler, he has it all. He's first. And these disciples who've given up everything to follow Jesus, they're last. But Jesus says in the spiritual economy, that's totally reversed. If you are a follower of Jesus... You're in that group of the first. And those who live just for this world will be last. So friends, I ask you this morning, who are you trusting in? Put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would, through your spirit, speak to each and every one of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to love and serve you to your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.